If you're trying to figure out why that person is so difficult to get along with, check out my other podcast over at loveandabuse.com and learn all about manipulation, control, and emotional abuse. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction and handle toxic situations with grace and ease and also show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm just going to get right into an email that I received recently because it is something that I haven't talked about in a while, and I think it will be helpful to those that might be in a similar position. And as I read the email, you'll understand where I'm going with this. Uh, It goes like this. I just read your article of what to do when you feel like you're going nowhere. He or she is talking about an article or an episode that I did a while back Uh, I'll look for it right now. It's called, uh, it wasn't that far back. It was actually uh, August of 2020, and it's called What to Do When You're Going Nowhere. So if you want to check out that episode, it's at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. This person goes, the title alone has been like my negative inner voices mantra for the last eight years. Depression is fickle, and under its spell, it's easy to fall into relationships routines, and environments that are, quote, comfortable without any real gratification or passion. Why did you never mention the idea of having pride in yourself and making it on your own as an adult? I ask because I'm going through this particular part of my life. I'm in my late 20s. I'm an ex-college athlete. I failed to go back to school and finish at least four times, working a part-time dead-end job to pay the bills, I'm overweight, I'm living with my parents, I'm dating the same guy for five years. Obviously everyone needs help and no one can get through this world alone, but shouldn't there be some level of self-reliance and self-support that is necessary to exist? I ask because since I've regained my mental stability over the last five years, I have regained my pride and realized that working a simple part-time job or finding little regular activities can give a soul purpose. Having been through mental hospitalizations and treatments since I was a teenager, I am no stranger to the toll and stigma of what it's like being labeled with a mental illness. But I was always taught that you are the only person who can change you. And if you don't want to change you, why should anyone else pay for you to give up on you? I'm not sure exactly what that question means, but I'm beginning to think people have become too complicated, expecting a quick fix and hard work is an endangered attribute. There is no expectation of even going to work at a dead-end job you never thought you would have because you shouldn't have to work somewhere you don't like. Where is the pride of pulling up your pants and going to work because you're an adult? So you don't have the qualifications to be an astronaut you always wanted to be. Does that mean you quit your convenience store job and go back to the shelter? Where is the self-respect in that? 
Okay, that was the entirety of the email, and I want to thank this person for writing, and I hope that you are in a better space. Um, from what I've read, it looks like you're getting into a better space, which is wonderful, and that you've been dealing with a lot of challenges, which is difficult, but it does sound like you are discovering this. One of the things, um, there's several things I want to address in this message, but one of the things that you mentioned that I'm going to address right away is self-reliance and self-support. This is something I absolutely agree with, and at the same time, there are times when you need support, and I think you did mention that in your email as well. But if you listen to my other episodes I've done over the past eight years or so as of this recording, you'll find other podcast episodes where I talk about uh, how to build a healthy ego, uh, how to find purpose and meaning in life, and a lot of what you're saying I've addressed over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. You may not have heard those episodes, and it's quite possible I didn't mention pride or ego or anything in that particular episode, mainly because I have an hour. (laughs) You can only fill in so much. But there's a ton of topics I talk about, and I did address ego. I don't know if I really talk about pride too much, but I wholeheartedly believe that you should be proud of yourself for everything that you've gone through and that you've made it this far. I think that's an accomplishment. If we can look at our lives and say, wow, I made it this far, that's amazing. In fact, let me tell you a little story about something that encouraged me. I might have said this on the show once. It was a really strange thing, and I know it sounds like fantasy. (laughs) It sounds like fiction, but I was in a grocery store once, and I saw a really old man and he was as tall as I am, I'm 6'4", and he was slightly bent over, and he was wearing what I could describe as maybe a green jumpsuit or something. It may be like a mechanic suit, but it was clean, and it was just all one piece. And I looked up at him, and he was just standing there at the end of the aisle. He didn't have a cart. He was just standing there, and he looked back at me, and I don't know why I thought this, but I thought... I wonder if that's me coming back in time to see me (laughs) in this moment. I don't know why I thought that, but I saw this tall, older gentleman looking at me, and I had that thought. What if that's me coming back in time to observe my younger self? Strange, I know, but that's what I thought of, because he was just out of place. He was standing in the middle of the aisle, didn't have a cart, there was nobody else around him, and he was looking at me. Just thought it was strange. So it kind of stayed with me, it stayed in my mind, and I think he ended up uh, meeting his wife or whoever he was with, and she was about the height of my girlfriend now, and I thought, could that be Asha? (laughs) I thought, this couldn't be us in the future, and of course, time travel I mean is that real and so um, I just laughed and I told my girlfriend and uh, we talked about it in the car for a little bit and she was just like what (laughs) what are you saying but I couldn't and I still can't get it out of my mind for a good reason in that moment I decided to accept that that was me even though I know it wasn't I mean I'm a critical thinker of course I didn't come back in time and observe me in the most mundane moment of my life shopping in a grocery store. But I just decided to accept that it was me 
and that I came back in time to visit. The reason I did that is because when I thought about that situation really happening, I suddenly felt wonderful. I suddenly felt fantastic. The reason is, is because I realized I was still alive. That just amazed me. That just gave me such a good feeling to see myself as an older man and know that I will be alive in, I don't know, my 80s or 90s. I'll be alive. That's me. I came back and I saw myself. So, of course, I'm alive. That means that whatever happens from this point on, I'm going to make it. Of course, I can't prove that and I wholeheartedly don't really believe that I came back in time and saw myself, but it doesn't necessarily matter. What mattered is the feeling I got from seeing myself and creating a reality that I know isn't real but made me feel better for thinking it was. So even now when I think about that time, I know I'm going to make it that far. I can't prove that. I could get into an accident tomorrow. I mean, of course, all of that is true. But I choose to believe that that's what's going to happen. And somehow I get a hold of a time machine. (laughs) So seeing myself down the aisle uh, made me feel really good that I was going to make it. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I felt really good in myself. I don't know if the word pride came to mind, but I just felt good knowing I made it. Because the person who wrote this email talked about giving the soul a purpose, giving it meaning, being drawn towards something or being motivated by something so that life isn't all doldrums and miserable. When that happened and I created this fantasy scenario that I came back in time and saw myself, it changed my entire perspective because if I make it true in my mind, then I know everything is going to be all right. It makes sense to me. It works for me. It may be silly to some people listening. Uh, Other people may think, well, I would like that experience too. How do I get that? And other people will say, that's ridiculous. This is the first time I've ever listened to your show and I'll never listen again. (laughs) That's fine. But I'm, I'm telling you this because sometimes to create purpose, you have to create a reality that may not exist. And that sounds like advice I shouldn't give. I don't know if that's the best advice ever, but sometimes our reality has been so miserable. Our upbringing has been toxic. There's been abuse or there's been trauma. We've been in bad relationships. We've had no relationships. We've been alone. There are all kinds of things that happen in our lives that just put us in a bad mood or worse, get us into a depression that... Sometimes it is nice to make something up that you can't prove is true or not true, but it's just something that gives you a little meaning. I'm not saying that this is my advice. I'm just telling you this from a perspective that when you can shift your mindset, your life can shift, your thoughts can shift, your emotional state can shift just from a thought. That is amazing to me. That just blows my mind. That a single thought can change your entire mood, can change your entire mindset, and can change your entire outlook for your future. Whenever I feel down, whenever I feel sad, 
Uh, I don't always go to that moment, but I think about that moment sometimes when I came back and visited myself from the future. <laughs> and uh, that makes me feel better. I, it makes me realize, wow, I'm going to live to that age and I'm still going to be okay. doesn't look like I'm going to run into any mishaps. I'm still standing. You know, I have all these things to be grateful for, even though it's just a story. But that story made me feel better. Now, coming back to this person's email, one of the things that I talk about over at loveandabuse.com, the podcast on emotional abuse and difficult relationships, is that in order to start healing when you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, you do have to become more independent. A lot of codependent people will get stuck in these relationships where they will continue to receive abuse, not that they're bringing it on themselves, but they may not have the tools to feel self-reliant. And sometimes those tools come from other people, but if those other people are abusive or toxic in any way, then that relationship doesn't work. When they're not toxic, when they're not abusive, it can work great. We can rely on each other and we can get to the next level or just to the same level of satisfaction in life and enjoying experiences with each other. But when the other person's toxic and we're relying on them, what ends up happening is that we are exposing ourselves to what I call relationship radiation. We're getting irradiated from their toxic behavior and we're still relying on them. So if you rely on somebody else for money and they're toxic, their money is toxic. They are handing you bills that are coated with radiation and then you take that money and you do something with it and whatever you do will have a trace of that toxic person and the only thing I mean by that is that when someone has certain resources that you need and you rely on them for those resources if they're healthy then everything should work out there, there's no radiation there's no toxicity involved you just have a good relationship but if they are toxic to you if they are a hurtful person then they hold whatever you're reliant upon over your head so this is the kind of stuff that I'll bring up over at love and abuse and the reason I bring it up is because a lot of people will be in an abusive relationship and they won't know how to get out because they're so darn reliant on the person they're with, yet the person they're with is supposed to be the person that loves them and cares for them, but it's really just a mix of love and abuse, hence the name, and being in that relationship is a detriment, and their life is basically hanging on the string that the other person is dangling. So it's like that uh, puppet, you know, your uh, your hands and your feet and your body and your mind are all being controlled by a puppeteer. That's what it can feel like sometimes. But on that podcast, I do talk about how important it is to start doing more and more for yourself. In fact, I just watched a movie last night. The woman was with a very narcissistic man and about halfway or just over halfway in the movie, she decided to get her own bank account without his signature, without his name, without his knowledge. That was her first step into independence because he was very difficult, he was abusive, and he was getting worse and worse. And for her to do that, it was just an empowering scene. She went in there and the bank teller said, okay, well, if your husband's going to be on the account, we're going to need his signature too. And she goes, nope, it's just mine. 
<laughs> that was it. Nope, it's my account. He doesn't need to sign. And the banker was like, okay, no problem. And she did that. And that was a huge step into her own independence. And I think that's one step toward what you're saying, this person who wrote the email, is that as you become more self-reliant and more self-supportive and more independent, it doesn't necessarily mean you're blocking the rest of the world out or you won't accept help. At least to me, it doesn't mean that. It just means that no matter what happens, if you fall, you can get back up. If you trip, you can recover. It's just like um, my girlfriend and I, we own a house together. If I died tomorrow, would she be able to get back up on her feet? Would she be able to take care of all the payments? Would she be able to pay for my funeral or coordinate with the attorney and read my will? You know, there's a lot of things involved that is unpleasant to talk about, but absolutely must be talked about because it's important for both of us to be prepared if another person isn't around. And I think that's vital in any relationship that you're in. If you have any relationship with anyone where you have a reliance on them for something and you do not have a contingency plan where if they were no longer around, how are you going to get through that? And I know some people listening have already gone through this and it's been very difficult, I'm sure. And maybe you have thought about this and maybe there is no way to do it or you don't want to face that or you don't want to think about it. But I think it's important to think about. I think it's important to start thinking about this stuff, start planning this stuff, and start considering if something happened, what would I do? And that doesn't mean you walk around paranoid. It doesn't mean you are fearful of something happening. It just means you're more prepared. And sometimes it just takes a small step toward that preparation to start creating a solid base for yourself so that if you fall, you can get back up. My girlfriend and I are now buying life insurance, something I've never had, something I've never even considered, but I know that if I die, that she would have a very difficult time, and I don't want that to happen. I want her to be prepared. And she brought this up, which is a very independent thing to do. <laughs> she said, we better get your life insurance on you. And I thought, okay, I think that's a good idea too. So that's what we're doing now. We're preparing. And all of this does come back to feeling good in yourself, about yourself, knowing that if the worst case scenario were to unfold, that you would at least have some sort of contingency plan, some sort of strategy to get yourself through it and hopefully out of it. This is why I felt so good when I saw that, quote, future version of myself in the grocery store that day. Because I knew that if this person really does exist, that I will be okay. Because there I am. And this is the same thing as preparing. When you prepare, you know you'll be okay. Or at least you'll be better off than having no plan at all. And I know that the person who wrote this email doesn't necessarily say it's all about planning. They're saying that you should have pride in yourself, that you should be proud of your accomplishments, even if it's just making it on your own as an adult. And some people haven't done that yet. Some people are still in a position where they can't do it. And, you know, COVID came and a lot of us uh, financial issues, and that was a challenge too. But I think this person's right as far as some people are taught that pride isn't something to feel proud about. 
It's not something to feel good about. At the same time, I think it has a lot to do with self-worth and self-esteem and having the confidence and believing in yourself to be able to do things that maybe might sound or feel difficult. When you are confident in yourself and you do accomplish something, you can create a pride in yourself. And I believe that's healthy. It's like the episodes where I talk about ego and compassion and self-worth and self-esteem, like I was saying earlier. Uh, ego is one of those things that some people put down because, you know, you shouldn't be an egotistical person. At the same time, if you have low self-worth and you do not have enough ego to make up for that low self-worth, you may stay in a low state. You may stay in that low feeling. This is why I told the story of when I got a muscle car when I was a teenager. Being in high school with other teenagers and having one of the very few muscle cars in my class, it felt amazing. I went from a little Toyota sedan to like an AMC Hornet, (laughs) something very old and not very cool, at least to me it wasn't very cool. And then I went to like the 69 Mercury Cougar and I just got all pumped up and I felt really good driving that and it it boosted my ego, it raised my self-worth and self-esteem and I actually started talking to the jocks. (laughs) Something that a a long-haired hippie skateboarder in my time wouldn't have done. I just started talking more, became more extroverted even though I consider myself an introvert. That one moment in time when I bought that muscle car and I only had it for a few months was what shifted me. It changed my life. It completely changed my attitude. It made me feel really good about myself. And because I felt good about myself, I felt more confident in myself. And I was able to get out there more and do more and make more friends and bring that confidence with me everywhere I went. And I didn't let my ego get the best of me. I didn't like raise my ego to the point where I was snobby or anything like that. I think it just had to fill up my low self-esteem and my low self-worth. When it filled that up, I came to a sort of a balance point. And then shortly after, I sold the muscle car and I got some other car and it was just a regular old car like my other cars were. And I kept my raised self-esteem and self-worth. But I needed that event to happen to me so that I could do that. And that's why I encourage people, if you feel any low self-esteem, if you feel any low self-worth, that when you do something that you can either be proud of or that boosts your confidence level or boosts your ego, that you can start filling in the gap. You can start filling in what's missing so that you can raise it to a healthy level. And then when you feel better about yourself and you feel more confident in yourself, then at that point you can make a choice whether to continue raising it if you need more or feel good about that balance point and bring that new version of you into the world. So coming back one more time to this email, I want to address the very last thing you said, uh, which is, so you don't have the qualifications to be an astronaut, uh, does that mean you quit your convenience store job and go back to the shelter? Where's the self-respect in that? I think some people need to hear that and I also think that some people don't need to hear that. I think that some people 
might be happy in their convenience store job and they're okay with that. And I don't think you're referring to that. You're thinking of the person who is miserable in their job, whatever job that is. And because they're miserable, because they can't accomplish what they want to accomplish, they just quit and go back to the, the shelter. And they said, where's the self-respect in that? I don't know. I did that very thing. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I was broke. We were going to the soup kitchen every day and I finally got a job. And after three weeks, I felt like a prisoner in that job. And my self-respect was lost in that job. So I gained my self-respect back when I quit and it felt great. I was proud of myself. I felt so good and it helped me regain my self-respect. It boosted my ego. It made me feel good. And I was able to take that feeling no matter where I went. I kept that feeling with me and I eventually got another job and everything worked out. And yes, I was qualified to do much greater things when I had that first job, but I took what I could get. And because I felt like a prisoner in that job and I did lose a lot of myself, I didn't want to compromise anymore. So I don't know if you were specifically talking to me about that story I've told in the past, or you're just referring to people that get really frustrated about what they're doing and they quit and they don't find another job because they know they're better than that or I'm not sure where you're going with that, but I read the entirety of your email just in case it resonated with anyone, and I wanted to give you my insights and my perspective on this, and I'm grateful that you wrote all of this because I have a feeling that where you are is exactly what you need in your life, and other people are probably in that same place and need to hear that. And if they don't need to hear that, maybe they needed to hear what I had to say about it. <laughs> Either way... I think it was a great topic to talk about today. And one final word on self-respect, and this might be the gist of your entire message, is if you really want to gain self-respect, if you really want to feel better and more comfortable in your own skin, then you do things that make you proud of yourself. I think I could probably just break that entire message down into that. Do things that make you proud of yourself. Don't worry about impressing anyone else. Just do something that makes you proud of yourself. It may not be the solution to all the challenges going on in your life, but when you do things that make you proud of yourself and you feel that inside and you take that feeling with you, other people are going to notice that about you and they're going to like it. They're going to like being around you because you have that sense of pride in yourself. And we can go a lot of places with pride and how that sounds and how people perceive it sometimes. But I think in this case where we're talking about whether it's staying depressed and not being able to get out of that depressed state or going in the opposite direction, doing things that raise your level of self-worth and self-esteem, I think self-pride can help you go a long way. Thanks for writing this and we will be right back. I'm going to read you another message after this and uh, we'll see where we go with it. Be right back after this. There are two useful and important services that I want to tell you about today. One of them is about your mental health 
We were just talking about mental health. And the other one is about your physical health. The first service I talk about on this show a lot is BetterHelp. Uh, I keep hearing from listeners of this show who've tried BetterHelp, and they tell me that they love it, they use it. They go into the Facebook group and they say, hey, has anyone used BetterHelp? And other people come in and say, yes, I've used BetterHelp. I get a lot from it, and uh, they're great. So that's why I like endorsing them, promoting them on this show. They're a professional counseling service that you can use online through a messaging system on the phone or video chat. And uh, when you sign up, they'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You get to connect in a safe and private online environment, making it very convenient. And as soon as you sign up, you'll be communicating with someone in under 24 hours. If you're trying to figure out what interferes with your happiness, or maybe you have tried doing things for yourself and you just can't feel that sense of pride in yourself that I was talking about in the last segment, maybe you can try BetterHelp and see if that's what you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. If you're dealing with depression, anxiety, trauma, sleeping issues, family conflicts, grief, and of course self-esteem, I recommend you check out BetterHelp and start living a happier life today. As a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off your first month by going to BetterHelp, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash brain, BetterHelp dot com forward slash brain. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. And your physical health is important too, and something very specific about physical health that can really alter your state of mind is chronic pain. I had to deal with chronic pain for about 15 years of my life. I had severe sciatic nerve problems. I couldn't sit in chairs easily. Flying on an airplane for a number of hours was the most excruciating experience. It was just pain all the time. For 15 years, I suffered and I felt alone and I felt like there was nothing anyone could do. I tried everything, or at least I thought I did. And back then, we didn't have apps, at least not the way we do today. And Curable is an app that over a half a million people in pain use to improve their lives. I know it's an app. It's, it's an interesting way to look at this. But if you're struggling with chronic pain, the Curable app can help to expand your life again, physically, mentally, and emotionally. It guides you through science-backed techniques designed to help you overcome the fear of movement, the fear of symptoms, and the fear of never getting any better. The Curable app is a completely free app that you can get on your iPhone or Android, and it's going to help you with strategies that can retrain your brain's response to pain, and in many cases, reduce the intensity and frequency of the physical symptoms. In fact, it walks you right through everything. I recommend that if you're in any type of chronic pain, download the Curable app. They even have a private online Curable community, so check it out in Apple or Google Play. Like I said, the Curable app is completely free, and you can set up your account by visiting getcurable.com forward slash brain. Curable is spelled C-U-R-A-B-L-E getcurable.com forward slash brain. And if you ever decide to upgrade your app, you can get 50% off the retail price by using that link. Getcurable, C-U-R-A-B-L-E dot com forward slash brain. Welcome back. I'm going to try something that I 
rarely do, rarely, I'm going to read something on the air that I haven't read in advance, just to find out if I can provide any insights that might be helpful. And I'm going to get right to it right now. This person wrote, I wanted to get your advice on a problem I've been dealing with. I have some friends, and since I have a fair amount of money saved up, I decided to loan them some money. The problem is that I kept loaning them money over and over again, either because they asked for help or because I wanted to help them. In all, I've lent them a large amount of money, and at the time I write this, they've paid back about a quarter of it. This isn't a trust issue for me. I know they'll pay me back, but I'm wondering when would a normal person who doesn't have boundary issues or isn't a people pleaser have said, enough is enough? Or better yet, how can I learn to make that determination for myself? I really believe that I'm a people pleaser and I have weak boundaries stemming from growing up in a home with an anxious, over-controlling mother. Any advice you could offer would be greatly appreciated. Okay, there it is. This is fresh in my mind. And if this person was in front of me, the first thing I would ask them is, are you still loaning them money? (laughs) He said, I'm loaning them money over and over again because they asked for help and because I wanted to help them. But you also said they're paying you back. So when it comes to a person saying enough is enough, the first thing I have to know is, uh, are you still doing it? If you're not still paying them money, then the enough is enough part is, when are you going to pay it back? Because that's what's on your mind. When are you going to pay it back? And how do you approach that? You know, this is something I've learned about a long time ago. Whenever you lend money to a friend, say goodbye to it. (laughs) I know this is not good news because the sum of money that you quoted here is quite large and I didn't want to give that away because, again, information that might point out who this is about. But whenever you give money to a friend or even a family member, say goodbye to it. Does that mean you'll never see it again? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't always mean that, at least. Does that mean that you shouldn't ask for it? No, that's not what I'm saying either. I'm saying when it's somebody you know that you probably don't sign a contract with to pay back, say goodbye to it. Be okay letting it go. Consider it a gift. I learned that somewhere. I don't know if it was Dave Ramsey or Judge Judy or whatever it was. I learned that along the way and it made perfect sense to me, so I've adopted it. If I were to lend money to a family member or a friend, and I never saw it again, I would just say goodbye to it. Now, does this mean I would stay friends with a friend that decided not to pay me back? Probably not. Because there is a sense of integrity that I like in my friendships, and if that's not there, then I would be uncomfortable around them all the time because I know they owe me money, and that would be a problem. If it's a family member, I might treat it a little differently. Like, they still owe me money, but, uh, okay, well, they're family, my sister, my brother, whoever it is. At the same time, I won't go out of my way to help them again, and I won't necessarily want to stay in contact with them. It'll still be an integrity thing. But this is my personal feeling about it. This may not be yours, but money is one of those things that does have a value, and that value is important to everyone. I mean, most people value money. And when somebody doesn't value you enough to pay back what they've borrowed from you, then 
there's an issue of the integrity or the honesty in the relationship. And if that's not there, if they do not value you enough to pay you back for something that you let them borrow, then what was really established in the first place as far as a friendship or connection? So these are my initial thoughts. I'm not saying that any of these are valid or great or perfect. I'm just throwing these out there as I just read this and I'm just trying to figure out the best way to guide you. So coming back to your question where you ask, but I'm wondering when a normal, quote, normal person who doesn't have boundary issues or isn't a people pleaser says enough is enough. My first answer is, are you saying enough is enough to lending or are you saying enough is enough to receiving it back? If you're saying enough is enough about lending the money, I'll give you my response to it. I would consider myself a person with healthy boundaries. I don't know if I would consider myself normal. (laughs) So I'm going to give you the perspective of someone with healthy boundaries, my perspective at least. The first time I lent money that wasn't paid back, I wouldn't lend again until it was paid back. Period. That's it. If they come up to me and say, hey, can I borrow some more money? I'll say, absolutely, as soon as you pay the first one back. Oh, no, but I need it for this and this. And they're going to give me some sob story or whatever. I'll say, yes, I'm there for you. Let's concentrate on paying this one back first, and we'll do it all again. Oh, come on, I really need it. Now this is where they might suck out the sympathy in me and try to make sure that I can see that they're stressed and they're pressed and they need the money. And I'll say, you know, I totally get it. I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through. And I've done what I can to help. And I'm ready to help again when this part is taken care of. Because I don't want to build resentment. I might say this. If they really push me and push me to asking for more money, I would say I don't want to make a relationship based on the borrowing of money. So that's why... Uh, It's important that we take care of this first. Otherwise, I'm going to build resentment, and I don't want that. I think we get along great. I think it was a good arrangement that we made. And as soon as you are able to pay it back, then we can talk about that again. But for now, we can't add one more debt on top of another debt. That's not fair to me, and it's not fair to you because I'll build resentment against you. And I hope you understand. Now, I might have exaggerated a little bit there, but not much because someone who cares about you that is borrowing money from you is going to say, oh no, I I totally understand. I I totally understand. I just wanted to ask if you had any more money and if you don't, great, you know, we'll, we'll work on paying this back first. Great. That would be a healthy, happy conversation and it should turn out okay, hopefully. But if they're pushing you and they're begging you and they're pleading with you or they're trying to make you feel bad about not giving them more money, I don't know if these are real friends. I don't know if this is a good relationship. That doesn't sound like a very healthy relationship, even if they're paying it back. Because someone who makes you feel bad for not doing more for them, it starts to turn into emotional abuse. It starts to turn into a toxic situation. And just like I said, you're going to start feeling resentful, and maybe you already do. But you can't feel resentful towards someone that you continue giving to if you choose to continue giving to them. Here's where the boundary thing has to come into play. 
if you have weak or no boundaries and you continue to say, okay, I'll give you some more money, okay, I'll give you some more money, then you can't resent them for your choosing to say yes. You might end up resenting yourself for doing that, and that's what happens often is that we kick ourselves in the butt. Why did I do that? Why did I do it? Why do I keep doing that? But you can't necessarily resent someone else for asking when you say yes for you saying yes when they ask for something that you don't want to do. That comes back on you. So I I don't think you're asking my opinion on that particular angle of it, but I want to let you know that's what happens is that if you continue giving, this is how we burn out. I mean, people pleasers burn out when they give and give and give because they expect the other person to stop taking. But the takers don't really get the message until they get the message. The message might be, sorry, no. Not until this is done. Not until this is paid up. But no, not until then. And if they try to make you feel bad, then what kind of people are they? That's not right. It's not right when somebody tries to make you feel bad. Oh, we're going to be broke. We're going to be poor. Of course, that you know that might be the real story. It might be a real story. But someone who doesn't see what you've already done, what you've already given might need a reminder of what your limits are and what your boundaries are so that they don't cross those limits or boundaries. Because some people don't know. Some people will continue asking because you keep giving, because you just seem to have an endless supply. You're abundant. And they see that it's no hardship to you, so they'll keep asking. And you just need to make it clear what those boundaries are. So your question on what would a, quote, normal person do who doesn't have boundary issues or isn't a people pleaser, when would that person say enough is enough? Uh, At least in the giving part, it is after the first time. I believe most people with healthy boundaries would see they've done enough and now I'm going to stop. Yes, it's possible that somebody could give again. You know, you get two loans, um, but then probably after that, a third loan would be, you know, what's that saying? Um, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Because now you're doing it a second time. And if you're not willing to say goodbye to that money, then you're going to have these feelings, these bad feelings. And with family, it can be even harder. Because you could ruin family relationships when somebody wants to borrow money. And you don't want to give it, or you can't give it, or you don't want to make the relationship about money. And they get upset with you because you're not giving them money that's a problem because that's not a fair treatment. You know, you could have one family member that does need money and you could have another family member that has the money, but if they're always borrowing money, it turns into a situation where you're afraid to see that family member all the time because they're always asking for money. So it can be tough with family, but you're talking about friends that you've loaned to over and over again. Let me address the other side of this. Let's see. The other side is you're waiting for them to pay you back. You said, I lent them all this money, and as I write this, they've paid back about a quarter of it, and it's not a trust issue for me. So that's good. It sounds like it's not about whether they're going to pay it back. It's just about when they're going to pay it back. I don't think you're asking that according to what I'm reading here, but let's just address that anyway. Uh, Let's just say that somebody does owe you money, and they're really slow to the take or they're paying you a few bucks every few weeks or a few bucks. This is one of those things that, in my opinion, as long as they're paying you back, then you're going in the right direction. 
if you decide to make a deal out of it, you could stop the payments. Meaning you say, hey, you know, can you pay me back every other week? And then they get upset and they say, well, fine, we just won't pay them back at all. I thought they were a good friend of ours. I'm painting a picture that's probably not true with you and with a lot of people. And I'm not necessarily saying that people will be this way, like they'll get upset if you ask for the money. I'm just saying when it comes to friends and family, if they're paying anything back in any amount of time, you know, within reason, it's going in the right direction. And when I see that progress, I just let it happen. That's me personally. I just let it happen. They pay me 50 bucks every three months. It's going in the right direction. I'm letting it happen. However, there's also a duration of time that I'm going to set in my mind that's too long. So this is the part of this that when you want them to pay you back and they haven't paid you back or they've stopped paying you back, I'm going to put a time limit in my mind, a duration. And that duration might be, you know, once a month, once every three months, once every six months. Maybe I don't know what my duration would be, but I would set it in my mind if I don't get any money within a whatever four to six month window then I'm gonna say something and when I say something it'll be from a a kind place I won't be mean about it but I may say something like hey I would like to make a payment schedule so that we can put this behind us I wanna put this behind us so that I can enjoy our time together I I really don't wanna think about it I just want to put it behind us. So let's make a payment schedule so that we don't have to think about it. And when the time comes, we can just get this out of the way. I'm paraphrasing. I'd probably change the wording a little bit, but that's what I would do. Let's make a payment schedule. Let's get this out of the way so this doesn't come between us because I really enjoy spending time with you and I don't want to think about the money. And I'm sure you don't either. So that might be a conversation I have when it comes to paying back. But if they go past that, if they never meet the deadlines that I've created, now we have an entirely different situation. Now it might be one of those where they'll never pay it back. And they're spending money on other things. You see it happening and you get madder and madder. And this is one of those things where you might just have to cut the tether, let them go and say, well, I guess that money's gone. I hope that's not the way it is. You could, you know, go to small claims court. You could take that route and, you know, absolutely, if that's what you want to do, since the tether is cut anyway, whether you're friends or family, you may have to do that. I mean, I'm all about that. You should get the money that you have loaned out back. I believe in that. It's all about integrity for me. But there's a point where how much money is it worth to go through the trouble and all this stuff when in reality, is it going to be worth the chase? In, in my opinion, there is a, a certain amount of money that would be worth pursuing, and then there's a certain amount of money that wouldn't be worth pursuing. And that's going to be up to you to decide what that is. And let me just throw this out here, and I should have said this before I started talking about money. I'm terrible with money. <laughs> I know how to work, and I know how to make money, but uh, put any type of accounting program in front of me, and I'm not good at all. Uh, I just look at my account and go, well, I have enough for bills this month. (laughs) As long as I continue having enough for bills, then I continue going in that direction. And uh, my girlfriend helps me there sometimes. But I tell you that because I don't want you to take any financial advice from me whatsoever. (laughs) So I hope this helps. There's my answer to what would a person with somewhat healthy boundaries do And uh, that's what I would do. I'm sure that all of us probably have a different opinion on this. But um, if you are a people pleaser, if you're someone with weak boundaries, 
my best advice is to never dishonor yourself. If you don't want to loan any more money, if you don't want to give any more time, and you feel really weird about it or really angry about it, don't dishonor yourself. And especially, be very aware of people that support you dishonoring yourself. If you feel like you're dishonoring yourself, any gift that you give that makes you feel bad for giving it is not a gift. Don't go in that direction. Start creating boundaries. Listen to my episodes on personal boundaries. I have plenty of them. And start doing what's right. Start doing what's best. People who love you want you to be happy. People who love you and support you will want you to have boundaries. That's just how it goes. I want you to have boundaries. I want you to take care of yourself. Thank you so much for writing. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I hope this helps. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. And also get curable.com forward slash brain. That's curable, C-U-R-A-B-L-E, get curable.com forward slash brain. That's a free app. And if you decide to upgrade, you'll get 50% off the price by using that link. Both great services. Hope you check them out. I also want to thank some people who left some reviews. Salusi123, I hope I said that right. Brit Stu, who left, I think, two reviews. Thank you, Brit Stu. And uh, Kakasalasa. <laughs> I want to read these on the air. Some of them are really long. I just want to let you know that I have read them. I am grateful for them. And I thank everyone that leaves reviews. And I won't be able to read everyone's name on the air, but I do read all the reviews as I see them. So, Thank you so much for the words, and I am so grateful when you share your success or your discoveries or your realizations. In fact, I just had uh, an interview. Somebody interviewed me yesterday on a show that I will tell you about in the near future, probably in a few weeks, where I was recalling one of my episodes where somebody wrote in, they had body image issues, and I started tearing up when I was being interviewed, and I couldn't get through my sentence because I was recalling this person, this young kid, whose life changed. And he wrote to me and he said he was so self-conscious. And after he listened to what I said, he said, you know, I decided to go on this trip and forget about these issues that I have about myself and knew that my, if they were my real friends, they wouldn't make fun of me. And I had the best time and my life has changed. And just recalling that, I started tearing up and I was just so happy that someone's life had changed not because I said something but because they did something they took action you know it reminds me of the the first segment where that person said just pull up your pants and take action you know do something with your life that's what this person did and it was very difficult for him but all it took was somebody saying something that made him think differently that was that one thought process that I was talking about earlier sometimes Somebody can say something, you can read something, you can see something, you can do something that changes everything. Sometimes a single word can change everything. 
I don't know what that word is, but I'll let you know when I find out. <laughs> but sometimes just one thought, one expression, one something can change everything. I remember this guy named Ralph Bear. He was called the godfather of video games. He invented, uh, what was it, the Odyssey? Something like that, Magn Magnavox Odyssey, I think. And um, it was a point in time where he was just depressed, so depressed. He had come out with this video game system back in, I think, the 70s or early 80s, and people were rejecting it. They didn't want to put it on their TVs, or I think he went to Sears, and Sears rejected him, and he was just depressed. He couldn't get anywhere. He just thought, you know what, what's the point? And I think he ended up in the hospital, and they had him on medication, until one day his friend came to him, or his coworker, and said, hey, somebody is very interested in this video game system that you created and they want to make a deal with us. I was reading this in the book and he said, almost immediately, my depression disappeared. I thought, what? <laughs> immediately, what? And he said, from that point on, I no longer had depression. Now, I don't know how severe it was. I don't know what state of mind he was in. There are some people listening right now that's saying, yeah, that's not going to happen. I totally get that. I was depressed too, and it took me two years to get out of it. But he said that one moment in time took me out of that awful mental state I was in. And I believe it because that's what can happen. You can hear one thing one time or see one thing one time, and it changes everything. Just like when I saw that older guy in the grocery store. He changed my life, and he didn't know why. He probably just went home with his wife and wondered why that young fellow was looking at him. <laughs> but he changed my life, so I'm forever grateful. It, it's just one little thing that I made up in my head, and it changed everything. So the reason I'm saying that is that when people write these reviews and they're telling me these stories and their life is changing, it touches me, it hits my heart, and I'm so grateful because my mission here is always to make your life easier, make your life better, improve your life in some way so that eventually you don't have to listen to shows like this. <laughs> you don't have to look for that one word or that one thought that changes everything because you will have found it. I mean, I want you to listen. I want to continue to listen, of course, if you need it. But I get so warm in my heart because I want the world to be a better place. I want you to be happy. I want you to be in a, a better position in life. If not happy, at least comfortable, at least at peace or come to terms with things in your life so that uh, life isn't such a challenge anymore. And that's what I want for you. So thank you everyone that writes, that reviews, that shares and expresses how your life has changed. And speaking of people, I'm grateful for the patrons of the week. These are the financial backers of the show. I read different names every week. They give monthly. They are Crystal and Fuang and Andrea and Henry and Christy, Monica, Lorita, Leela, and Adriana. Thank you all so much. Oh, there's more. Uh, Julia, Anna, Veronica, Lucy, and Holly. All of you, wonderful supporters of this show in the patron program. I am grateful for you, and I really enjoy seeing your names every week. And I also want to thank Walter. Walter donated. I am so grateful for your donation, Walter. Thank you so much. You know, I'm humbled and appreciative. And again, my heart is warm from all of you for all the reasons I've already said. And thank you, patrons and Walter, for your donation and for all of the patrons who have joined the program. In fact, if you find value in this show and you want to give back in some way and you can give back, go to moretob.com 
And that's where you can make a monthly donation in the patron program or a one-time donation if you want to do that. And when you join the patron program, you get all the episodes that I have in the patron site, including free workbooks and a video archive that um, you can't find in the public airwaves. So I'd like to give back even more when you become a patron. Thank you again, everyone. And I mentioned it earlier, the Love and Abuse podcast. If you need help determining if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, whether it's romantic, platonic, family, if you leave many conversations feeling bad and you want to find out if you're being emotionally abused, check out the Love and Abuse podcast over at loveandabuse.com. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. In my final words, I'm going to read you another email that's somewhat related to what we were talking about. That's why I'm reading it here. Uh, This person wrote, Hey, Paul, I came across your podcast. We're trying to find something to reflect on myself, mostly on my past relationships and emotional attachments. I've been working from home during the pandemic, and ever since then, I've been starting my day listening to your podcast while walking my dog. It's been so relaxing and inspiring. So thank you in advance. You are welcome. Thank you. And uh, she goes on. She actually has some questions here. I'm currently in my late 20s, and I've gone through not many, but a handful of relationships that never lasted more than a year. I used to blame myself for all my past failures and asked myself what I did wrong, what I could have done better, and how I could have kept them. And However, that had an enormous negative impact on my self-esteem when it came to starting a new relationship. So at one point, I sort of gave up trying to find one. I continually go on dates, but I eventually saw myself uninterested either because I'm afraid to get hurt again or that I would hurt them and feel guilty about it. I'm in a stage in my life where I'm happy on what I've done materially, but I'm not sure if I'm satisfied with what I have on the inside. I'm financially stable. I have a caring, supportive family back home. I have a small but joyful group of friends. I have healthy hobbies and regular activities to keep me busy. I enjoy being alone, and I actually highly value that alone time in others as well. I usually take extensive amounts of time between relationships to heal alone, develop, and improve myself both physically and internally, and then when I feel ready, I start going on dates. But the hesitancy of trying new relationships seem to be there all the time. Some of my friends would say it's because I haven't found the one, my standards are too high, I just need to have fun, and so on. I used to take that advice and avoid having boundaries and tried to be more spontaneous, trying different dating apps, but those dates always led to so-called flings. I'd love to have a long-term relationship. Whether that would lead to a marriage or not, I don't know, but it's so difficult to find like-minded people these days, especially during lockdowns. I'm in an age where I really can't joke around anymore with guys who don't want to be serious, but at the same time, I think I'm still young enough to explore dating life. My questions are, how did you find self-respect after your relationships? Should I continuously go on dates and explore until someone comes around? Should I still have my guard up and leave him as soon as I see a red flag? How would I know if he's a serious person? And then she writes, uh, some things that I consider are huge red flags are people venting about their past on me, lack of communication, especially at an early age in dating, lack of conversations, questions when we meet, pressuring me to push myself outside my comfort zone, bashing about their friends' past relationships, not wanting to do outdoor activities, and basically just not showing enough generosity, respect, and care toward the relationship. Yes, thank you so much. I decided to read that whole thing because I think it's all relevant and some people could probably relate to this. I'm going to get to your questions and try to answer them quickly. You asked, how did you find self-respect after your relationship? So in my relationships, you know, I've gone through several in my life 
and when they ended, they always broke up with me, and it did hurt. It really hurt, but at that time in my life, I was highly dependent on other people for my happiness. They were the source of my happiness, and because of that, when they left my life, I really started feeling down, and I felt awful when they left my life. I became depressed when they left my life. And I would look for the next person. In fact, that was my mission. That was my goal. When someone left me, I would just start looking for the next person. I would have a little bit of grieving time, but I would need to find another person because I knew that I wanted happiness again. That's how I defined happiness, being with somebody else. I don't know if I lost my self-respect after my relationships. I think I still respected myself. So that might be difficult for me to answer in the way you're asking. But if I were to answer your question, I would ask you, did you have self-respect before? Meaning, did you respect, I mean, this might be an insult, I'm sorry, (laughs) but did you have self-respect going into the relationship? And be honest, do you respect yourself? I'm going to assume the answer is yes. I don't think you don't. But if you're losing respect for yourself in the relationship, that almost makes me believe that you're not ending them fast enough. That may be strange or maybe not, but when you think about things that are going on in the relationship, if you're losing self-respect that you already had, then that might mean that you are allowing things to go on that are violating your values or your boundaries. And if that's the case, you're not ending them fast enough, or you're at least not mentioning it to them that they're doing what they're doing and you don't like it. So there's my answer to your self-respect question. If you feel like you're losing or decreasing in self-respect, you need to determine at what point that is and bring that up. I'm not saying you bring up the self-respect issue, but you bring up your boundaries. Hey, what you're doing is disrespectful. Please stop. And if they don't stop, you say sayonara (laughs) because you're just dating. And if they're not getting it at that early stage, then you need to get rid of them. So if your friends say you have high standards, you say, thank you very much. Yes, I do. Or at minimum say, no, I have normal standards. And when somebody disrespects me or shows any of these red flags, I'm going to bring it up. And if they have a problem with it and they can't be with me without violating some boundary or value, then I don't want them in my life because I respect myself. So there's my answer to the self-respect question. Your next question is, should I continuously go on dates and explore until someone comes around? I like to look at dating as meeting new friends and that's it. If the friendship turns into anything else, great. But when you're meeting new friends, your expectations are lower and your candidness is usually higher. I'm not saying it's the same for men and women. I think men have a little easier time being candid and open where um, I might be wrong here, but I think more women might feel a little bit more vulnerable being candid and open. So I'm not necessarily saying you have to be that way. I'm just saying that it's important to be honest about what you want, at least be honest with yourself so that when you start to see things that you can honestly say to yourself, hey, I will accept that or I won't accept that. That's boundaries 101 right there. I will accept that or I won't accept that. If you'll accept it, great. Then they reach the next level of trust and you feel safe around them and you can move on. But 
if there's something they're doing that you just can't accept or feel uncomfortable with, then of course you're going to probably close up a little bit and you don't want to be as open or as vulnerable with them. But I think it's important, and I know it's hard, to not treat them so much as dates, but treat them as meeting someone for the first time and just getting to know them. If you were at a family reunion and somebody's cousin's friend came and you thought it would be great to talk to this person and you went over and talked to them, that would be getting to know them, not thinking, oh, I wonder if this is going to turn into anything more. I mean, that thought could go through your head, but because it might stem from, hey, we were on a dating app, so this is a date, or someone introducing you saying, hey, let's all go out on a date together, framing it as a date sets up expectations that changes, typically changes how you think and feel about the situation you're in. I like to look at dates as an opportunity to be yourself, to find out if the person can be themselves and there's any type of compatibility there. Meaning, I'm honest about what I want in my life, I'm honest about the type of person I'm looking for, and I speak candidly about it. Um, I may not describe my perfect mate to someone who may or may not be that person, but I might describe in general what I'm looking for. And I would hope that they would describe in general what they're looking for and see if it matches. Now, the challenge here is that sometimes people don't show their true selves. Sometimes people show a self that they want you to see. And this is something you just have to be aware of. uh, And you have to, as you go forward, look for incongruencies. What I call incongruencies, which is when what they say doesn't really match what you see. Their intentions don't match their behaviors. When you see incongruencies like that, consider them red flags. Not orange, consider them red flags. And take a step back, take a step out if you're having any feelings for this person because you're saying all the right things and they sound like the perfect partner. Take a step out of it, look at it from a zoomed out perspective and make sure that you're not diving into something that is turning into a manipulation of some sort. I'm not saying to be paranoid about it. I'm saying be observant because some people do not show you their true selves. They just tell you what they think you want to hear. Those are tougher to weed out. Go to my podcast, Love and Abuse. I have an episode on the red flags you see during dating, and that would be important to listen to. But I do like the idea of approaching dating as just meeting someone and getting to know them and not having an expectation of hugging or kissing or this turning into a romantic relationship. Just take that out of your mind. You're just there to connect, enjoy yourself, and if they find that a little bit unappealing and they want to move faster and you don't, that's probably not the person you want to hang out with. That comes back to what do I want for myself and what will happen that will cause me to lose respect for myself. So I address that. There's more to it. I wish I had more time to get into, but there's that part. Let's go to the last two here, which is should I still have my guard up and leave him as soon as I see a red flag? I wouldn't say it's necessarily a matter of leaving, but it's definitely a matter of honoring yourself to the point where you either say something or leave. If you're just getting to know someone and you see these red flags, it's okay to ask. Like, what do you mean by that? For example, they they talk negatively about their ex. That might be a red flag for some people. Oh, my ex did this and my ex did that and she or he was such a bad person. And instead of going, whoa, this person talks negatively about people, you might want to dive in a little bit say, oh, what exactly did they do? Instead of listening for their opinions and their feelings about it, 
Listen for the facts. And you can listen for those facts and find out if what they did sounds like something that they should be angry about. Now, that's not always going to make it easier because sometimes people lie. (laughs) So there's that too. But I like to ask questions. Just dive in a little bit more. Ask, what do you mean by that? Well, what happened? And really put them on the spot, so to speak, just to find out where they are with it. And you might even ask, well, where are you with that now? Are you still angry? Are you still resentful? Where are you with that? If they say, no, 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 I, I've, I've gotten over it and I'm, I'm better now. I just went through that period of time and I wish him or her well and things like that. that. Then maybe they were just being vulnerable with you and sharing an emotional experience. But I do recommend diving in when you can and if you can. And also watching how they treat other people and how they talk about other people. Very similar to talking about their ex. How do they treat the waiter? How do they treat um, the valet? How do they treat anyone that you come into contact with and especially how do they treat people of the same sex as you if you're a woman how do they treat other women how do they treat their mom if you're a man how do they treat other men how do they treat their dad and especially how do they treat their ex how did they treat their ex what did they do for them if you can find that out and if you do it typically will show you how they treat other people may be exactly how they treat you in the future So that's something to be aware of as well. But I think there's a difference between keeping your guard up and being observant. Keeping your guard up is kind of a defensive posture and it doesn't make dates very fun. (laughs) But being observant, being open, just watching and observing and having no stake in the game until you have a stake in the game is a much, in my opinion, much more pleasant place to be. And should you leave as soon as you see a red flag, I think it's okay to talk about it unless it's not. So you can ask about it like, oh, what do you mean by that? Or uh, tell me more about that and see where they go with it and look for personality characteristics, look for behavior quirks, and also look for any negativity that they still have inside them that might come out later. Look for how they've treated other people. And if you don't like what you see or hear, then maybe it's time to admit that this person's probably not somebody that you want to be with. But it might be helpful to talk about it more, like I was saying, to find out if they still feel the same or where they are with it now. And finally, let's get to this. How would I know if he's a serious person? Well, I'm going to give you some a little bit of the opposite advice about what I said earlier about being vulnerable and telling people you know, what you want in your life. I would say do more listening than talking. And I think this might be maybe the most important advice here. Because if you're an honest person and you want an honest relationship and you want a long-term relationship, you want to find out who they are. Because you know you. You know you're not the type of person to lie or manipulate or whatever. You're not, you're not going to be that kind of person to this other person. But you need to find out if they're that type of person. So in order to find that out, listen and ask questions. Do more of that, especially on the first two or three dates, maybe. I don't know the number, but especially the first one, listen and ask questions because a deceptive, manipulative, lying person is going to ask you a lot of questions to find out who you are so that they can show up as who they believe you want them to be. That's what I don't want to happen. That's why I want you to listen, ask questions, get to know them very well and if they give you short answers or they're not giving you enough answers or you're not getting to know them well 
then they're probably waiting for you to divulge who you are so that they can tell you who they are. And that I would consider an orange flag. I definitely don't like the direction that goes. And I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to anything they say, but I think that you should do more listening and more asking because it's like you're interviewing a job candidate. If you treat this as you being a supervisor or a manager or a boss or a CEO and you are interviewing your next candidate, what are you going to do then? You're going to ask them questions. You want to find out what their goals are in life, what their aspirations are, what their hobbies are maybe. You know, you're just asking questions to find out who they are. You want to know all about them. Because if it's somebody that's going to work in your company, the company of you, <laughs> the business of you, you want to make sure that you interview them right. So it's important to get to know them. And that's what might need to happen. If you've been on the dating scene a long time and you've been on date after date after date, you just may need to turn into the person who interviews because your standards, they're not high. They're probably normal. They're probably healthy. And when you have healthy standards, you're going to have to weed out a lot of people. It's the people with unhealthy standards or the low standards that end up with people that eh, maybe it works out for a year or two or maybe even a few years and then some bitter divorce. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. You want to be okay filtering and weeding out people that don't qualify. If they're not a good candidate, then they don't qualify and you'll just have to go through them until you find the right one. Yes, you might have to go through some people, but that's why it's important to treat people as not possible dates or mates or relationships, but start off as friends. Hey, great to meet you. Good to meet you too. You ever been to this restaurant? No, I have never been to this restaurant. Well, let's see what happens. Okay, that sounds great. Normal conversations can still happen in this day and age. <laughs> so it's nice to go in that direction. So finally, what I'm going to say to this person who wrote is your red flags are your boundaries. They are your values and they are right for you. And if you consider them a red, red flag, then you don't want those things in your life. And I think that's smart. I also think it's smart to explore, when you see a red flag, what they really mean. They may mean exactly what they say they mean. They may mean that they are still angry with their ex, or they really are pressuring you to push yourself outside your comfort zone, whether you like it or not. And if that's the case, don't be afraid to say, okay, been a great date. I gotta go. See you later. I'm not saying you have to end it right away, but you know, you don't want to hire someone that takes down your whole company. <laughs> so make sure you let in the right people or at least the people that you believe are going to do a good job. That may be a little weird to say it that way, but maybe it's what you need to hear. Maybe it's that one thing you need to hear to make sure you weed out all the baddies to get to the good ones because that's what it takes sometimes. Sometimes it does take a little while. I'm sorry, but the more you do this, the more you'll know yourself and the more confident you'll be in yourself doing it. And that comes back to pride and self-respect and self-esteem and self-worth. Everything that we're talking about today. I hope this was helpful. Thank you so much for tuning in to this extended episode. I appreciate you. And just remember to always keep an open mind because this is what helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.